And welcome to Catholics Coast to Coast, where we love to take the conversations a little deeper as it pertains to our faith, our walk with God, and how to look through what we're facing through a Catholic lens. And so I am Ace McKay, your host this week, where we get a chance to not only dive into deeper conversations, but look into today's and this weekend's Mass reading. So first things first, let's get your look at the Word on the Word. I tell you, brothers and sisters, the time is running out. Let those having wives act as not having them. Those weeping, not weeping. Those rejoicing, not rejoicing. Okay, you said it. Now explain, please. Well, Paul is basically saying that the days in this life are few and short. So how is that connected to married men not acting married? Because that could cause some issues. Right. Well, we're not actually talking about relationships or vocations at all. Paul is not saying be unfaithful to your spouse. Rather, he's saying that it's better to not be distracted by the daily anxieties of life. But we can't cry or even rejoice. How is being emotionless going to get us any closer to God? The reading isn't meant to invalidate your feelings. You're allowed to have emotions, but remember, your devotion to God should be the most important thing in your entire life. Oh, so you shouldn't let anything get in the way of your relationship with God. Right. That's why this week we challenge you to ask yourself, what are you letting distract you from your relationship with God right now? And join us next week right here on The Word on the Word. Bye. Reflections on God's Word, better understanding, and what it means to apply into our faith. If you want more on Word on the Word, check it out. Podcast Central at EWTN.com slash radio. I'm Ace McKay as we continue with Catholics Coast to Coast. Another chance for us to introduce a new member to the podcast family, but not so new to us in that it's from our friends at The Quest in Atlanta. They have a show called The Family Room, and this week talking with the author of Divorced Catholic, now what, Vince Fries, who is actually giving us insights into his own personal journey, but the truth of healing and recovery from divorce on this week's Catholics Coast to Coast. Welcome into another week of the Family Room. This is Craig Wiesmeyer, and I'm here, not solo, but duo with my co-host, Mari Cleveland. Hello, hello. Yeah, we're missing John today. Yeah, John uh, decided he had uh, to another engagement, unfortunately, so he won't be able to participate in this uh, very interesting and engaging interview with Vince Freeze. Yes, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So what do you think on the topic? Because we're talking about divorce, which, I mean, a lot of people avoid that topic, but mm-hmm. I think it's well worth the conversation. I think especially as Catholics, because I know, for example, right now, I've got several friends who are Catholics who've been through divorce, and they um it's been a real challenge obviously divorce is a challenge for anybody but especially catholics wanting to live in their faith and um understand what the church says about divorce understand how they can still be a big part of the church even if there are some limitations in some situations based on where they are in the process and both of them i know have struggled but they've come to um I've seen both of them come with a lot of peace recently, which is beautiful, but I know that there's a a need for what Vince and what his wife offer to Catholics out there who've gone through divorce. Excuse me. Yeah, no. And they also have a ministry for um, video workshop for remarriage, which I think is awesome, too, because um, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding around divorce in general. You know, Mm -hmm. there's sometimes a stigma put on it, and there's also, I think, a misunderstanding of people with within and outside the church yeah. that act like, you know, once you get divorced, you're kind of ostracized and you're not allowed through the doors because you're so shameful. And 
I think Vince and his wife Monica have done a good job of destigmatizing that mm-hmm. and helping people heal. I mean, there's a lot of pain and suffering that certainly goes through divorce. So, uh, before we actually bring Vince into the show, uh, would you open us in prayer? Sure, be glad to. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We praise you of the author of all that is good. We praise you and we thank you for the abundant life that you offer to each and every one of us, Lord. Um, Lord, we just ask you to be, especially with um, couples who are married, um, especially any couple who might be going through a hard time right now, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit to intercede, to give them words, to give them healing, to give them strength. We thank you for the gift of marriage, and we thank you for those people who minister to those who are married, as well as those who are struggling in marriage. Um, Lord, bless our conversation today and help it to be um, fruitful and help it to be a great encouragement and a good resource for, for people who may need these resources that Vince and Monica offer. And I ask you to continue to bless them, bless their marriage, bless their family, bless their ministry. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Your Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. So listeners, like we said, we have Vince Fries in the uh, studio today. We were supposed to have his lovely wife, Monica, but unfortunately... COVID and a lingering cough took her down, so she's not able to join us today. But uh, we are speaking again with Vince, who I believe is a native Atlantean. Um, he has a identical twin brother, Tony. We were just laughing about Vince before we started taping. When I say identical, they look so much alike, they can't tell each other apart. <laughs> um, and Vince has, if I remember this correctly, uh, four children and three stepchildren. Is that right, Vince? That is correct, yes. And then uh, one of the natural children, Vincent, Yes. is the youngest. Yes. And he is your and Monica's natural child together. That's right. How old is he now? Fourteen. Awesome. I remember when he was born. Seems like it was yesterday. Yes, it does. Well, welcome into the show. We're going to get more into your your specifics of what you do, but welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this. And Craig, you've been talking about this for a while. And it's unfortunate that my lovely wife, my better half, couldn't be here, but I'm carrying the the flag for her. (laughs) And hopefully, uh, hopefully I'll do an admirable job. No, you'll, you'll be fine. And maybe next time. Maybe we'll have yeah, her on that'd be great. As well. I know she'd enjoy that. That would be great. And she's listen, very articulate, more articulate than me. So. <laughs> and she's very pretty, better, better yeah, looking she, than you way are Way better. Well. <laughs> You're right. But listeners, please pray for his wife as she's recovering. Yes. Thank you. That'd be great. So one of the things, Vince, that we always ask all of our guests is to talk about their faith journey, since we are here, obviously, in a Catholic station um, in the family room. And it's so helpful for all of us to hear, okay, what was your faith journey like? How did God capture your heart? What was it like growing up? Or when did you really turn more clearly into your life following Christ. So can you share a bit about that with us? Sure. I'm a cradle Catholic. I get my Catholic faith from my mom, who I know was praying for me before I was even born and had the rosary beads under her pillow at night. So um, very much uh, get my Catholic faith from her. Praise be to God. She's still alive, Ah. doing great, 87 and a half years old. and so, cradle Catholic, grew up Catholic my whole life, uh, Italian and Irish. There's some Irish in me. I tend to identify with my Italian <laughs> side more. Um, my mom and my wife both would not be too happy to hear that, but that's the truth. Um, and so, yeah, very much followed a traditional Catholic journey as a kid. Um, probably during my college years, in my 20s, probably drifted away a little bit 
further than I would like to admit, but never that far. Mm-hmm. Um, always found my way into mass, at least, you know, if I wasn't going every week, at least once a month or so. Mm-hmm. Um and then really, uh, once I had kids, that clearly brought me squarely back into into my faith uh, and, and the real priority of it in my life. And then uh, fortunately, unfortunately, because of my divorce, that really um, caused me to seek my faith deeply and, mm-hmm. and really seek the truth of our faith, which... Uh, for a while there, I really wasn't sure that I could find the truth, uh, especially having experienced divorce. So I went on this journey, about a two or three year journey after my div- during and after my divorce of trying to understand what the church really did teach about divorce mm-hmm. and being Catholic, because I really couldn't find much in the catechism, mm-hmm. um, at least not labeled specifically. And I tell this joke, but it's true. There was a, a one evening I remember vividly where I was really upset with God about having gone, having gone through a divorce. And I was looking in the catechism, in the index, because like, okay, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I never expected to be here but I'm Catholic and I'm divorced. And I went to the index figuring for sure there's a whole section on people like me that are divorced and Catholic. And there's a section called Divorced Catholic. And I looked and I looked and I looked and there isn't a section called for Divorced Catholic. There's things about divorce in the catechism, Mm -hmm. um, but nothing specifically that said, okay, now that you're divorced, do this, don't do that, do more of this, do less of that. Here's what the faith clearly teaches. I had to really spend some time piecing it together, but that's a key part of my journey that led me to the ministry that I'm in now that I never would have expected to be in. But God called me here because other, there are a lot of people like me who are looking for answers, and I, I had to uncover them kind of the hard way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, what I tell people is the work I've done in my ministry, particularly in the programs I've done, the books that I've read, you know, I haven't invented anything new. Um, I've just taken the truth of our faith and looked at it from the eyes of somebody who experienced divorce and helped them understand it better Mm -hmm. that like i had to go through and understand better and help them live it because that's the key to the healing uh that comes from our catholic faith is when you live that truth Uh, and, and we're so blessed to be catholic and have not just the truth of our faith but the richness of our faith but most importantly the sacraments in our faith especially the eucharist uh that are so fundamental to your healing and to living this abundant life that the Lord promises all of us. Mm, that's beautiful. You know, as I listen to you, I, I keep thinking too about your mother and of those prayers your mom prayed oh, for you, time. like you said, since before you were born, that it's no surprise. It was a surprise to you that you got divorced, but yes. God already knew that that was going to be a difficult time in your life. And he already knew how he's going to call you out of that. And I think it's beautiful and it's a testament to your faith, but also probably more to your mom's faith that when you hit that bump, that you turn toward the church and toward God and toward seeking his will in your life and then being able to glorify him through the ministry he put on your heart instead of away, because so many people turn away in anger, frustration, fear, hurt, all the rest of it. That's exactly right. And that's what, 
really is an inspiration for me is all those people that are turning away, that have turned away, that I run into, that have left the faith. And it's usually because they didn't understand the truth. They, yeah. Somebody told them something that was wrong or they made an assumption or they somehow got hurt by our faith. And uh, I just want to take them by the arm and gently lead them back to to the truth and to the healing and to the hope. That yeah. exists in our in our faith. It's funny that I literally have one of these turning towards stories the the morning after uh, I realized my marriage was going to end in divorce. Um, I was uh, didn't sleep at all, and it was a work day, and I just got up kind of like a robot, not knowing what else to do, and got ready to work and got my car and headed towards the office. And I'm literally at the traffic light where I have to turn right to go to my office or left to go to my parish. Mm. And in that moment of truth, I turned left Wow! to go to my parish because I was, I was hurting and I was seeking answers. The sad truth is, um, was that I did go to my parish. I did find my way to my pastor, but this is 24 years ago. Um, and there wasn't, I figured for sure they'd have some kind of book or booklet or program or group or something they could, he could turn me to. And they didn't have any of that. Mm-hmm. All he said is, you know, he listened to me and he said, I'll pray for you, which is great. But I needed a lot more than that in that moment. And so I went back out kind of into the cold alone without any answers and and that started my journey that ultimately led to this ministry but it was a bumpy road initially for sure in trying to learn what that truth was um but praise be to god i discovered it that's great right it is great when you think about um too how what is it necessity is the mother Mother. of invention Mm -hmm. um when you know instead of how many people leave the church because they can't find a resource or they got the wrong answer instead of doubling down and saying, mm-hmm. uh, you know, let me be that resource or try to be. And I honor you for the fact that you put that kind of time and effort into it because it would have been a lot easier just to say, heck with this, I'm going to move on. Well, trust me, it wasn't a straight line. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't. And in one of your recent blogs, it's interestingly enough, too, I think you made mention to the divorcing is like a battle. Yeah. I mean, it really is. And so you said truth about 1,400 times in this very <laughs> short time, which I find wonderful and interesting. Can you kind of talk about the battle itself, maybe as it related to you? And I don't want to put your wife on the spot here, but if you can share even from some of her experience, if not, that's perfectly fine. And then really talk about, again, the truth. Dial in on the truth. Yeah. Well, someone who's experienced divorce, and anybody listening to this who's gone through divorce understands what I'm about to say, and that when you go through a divorce, you are confronted with so many lies. Mm. And and you are confronted with things that are or new realities that you did not were not aware of, right? Somebody you were you're married to that you thought you knew, but now you realize you really didn't. Mm-hmm. And so you you enter a dark period of just not knowing what the truth really is, and so you you're searching for something solid to stand on and and know that that I can hold firmly to this, and this is not going to dissolve away, or this is not yeah. going to uh, you know break down. This is also not going to break down yeah, on me, yeah. right? That that I can trust this. 
And so I just know for me that I went through this period of really trying to understand what the truth was, because I thought I knew. I thought it was being married to this one person the rest of my life, raising these three kids together. Uh, and that was the truth that I built my life on. Mm-hmm. And, and based on around our faith, right? And so when that all fell apart, now you're left with, okay, now what is true? So for me, it was this journey ultimately of what could I bank on? What could I stand on that was firm no matter what? I could truly build my life around. Um, and so that's why in my journey, it was trying to understand what the truth was, building my life on that, and then ultimately with my ministry, teaching others mm-hmm. what I knew, yeah. right? So that's why the truth is kind of the gold standard, right? It's what you sure. really seek to get this clarity and and to really reorient yourself around. It's that like that North Star, right? I'm totally disoriented right now. It's like I got, got dropped into this Marshall, Martian landscape and I don't know where I am and I don't know where I'm going. I, I don't have a map on how to get out of here. And so what do I do? Mm-hmm. And so the our Catholic faith is that map. I had to discover that kind of the hard way mm-hmm. and take a lot of detours. So listeners, if you are just joining us, you are here in the family room. We're talking with Vince Freeze and about his life and his ministry for especially guiding people who've been through divorce to abundant life. And Vince, you, you describe that so helpfully, I think, for people to say, wow, you're right. Like everything you built your thought, your life on, everything you thought was true, all of a sudden it's not true. We know who the father of lies is, right? Yep. So we know that the evil one is going to come at us in different ways. And in your case, he came at you through the dissolution of your, your first marriage. And you had to find light. You had to find truth. You had to find hope. So you said you went to your parish. Um, your priest was kind enough to talk to you, to pray with you. But what were some of the things that you started to discover? I know that you said you looked and there was not much there. What were those resources that started to help you find those solid, truth-filled points of light in your own journey as you went through this? Well, um, before I answer that, I just do want to circle back to one thing, Craig, that you had asked me about is Monica's journey. I think Mm -hmm. she has a kind of a parallel journey and she was seeking this truth. I didn't know her at the time. Um, and she also is a lifelong Catholic that, again, was disoriented and trying to figure out what was true. And through her own process, particularly through her prayer life, was able to kind of reorient herself. And it's the reason I met her, how I met her, was she was seeking that truth and had heard about the ministry work that I was doing at the time. Okay. So it was her quest for the truth that ultimately led us to meet each other. So wow. I did want to touch on no, that because you asked specifically, good, yeah. specifically about my wife. Yeah. Um, as far as what what were those things, those kind of guideposts along the way, if, if you will? Well, I, I will tell you at first, and I alluded to this a little bit already, that it wasn't a straight path. So I kind of bought into the world's view of what you should do after divorce, mm-hmm. right? And and you ask you know, anybody in the world that the way to get over a divorce is to meet somebody else. Oh, interesting. Right? <laughs> oh, I know how to make you happy. I know how to get you to forget about the past. I've got this great person you need to meet. Mm-hmm. And so I did buy into that for, for a short period of time. 
and thought that, okay, well, maybe they know what they're talking about. And this is the pathway to, to happiness and, and peace. And the more I pursued that path, the, the least I was found <laughs> yeah. any kind of peace or happiness. So it truly was the exact opposite of how to find peace and joy. So after beating my head against that wall a little bit, I figured that wasn't the right way. So I started researching. I started reading a lot, of anything I really get my hands on, including the catechism, including the teaching of the church fathers, including other Christian and Catholic writers. And C.S. Lewis, I have to give him the credit for being the one that really uh, shined the light very brightly in my life at the time. So mere Christianity mm. um, really saved me. Um, mm. It was just his description of of our faith and his i could just relate so much to him in how he's describing the way that christians live their faith he said that christians live their faith like they pay their taxes he said they just give so much to god but the rest they keep for themselves mm -hmm. well that's exactly where i was in that point in my divorce recovery journey is is i was wanting to live the life i wanted to live I was Catholic, and I was certainly raising my girls who were living with me, uh, and I was raising them Catholic, but I wanted to be free to explore and do the things I wanted to do separate and apart from my faith. And he said, you know, that is how you become mis miserable is by trying to give only a piece of your life to God, mm. because you'll always be empty. He said the way to really... Um, to be true to your faith and really how God is calling to you, our Lord is calling you, is to give you all of, give him all of yourself to him, surrender totally, let go of everything in total trust, and he will give you a new self. He will give you himself. And that's where the peace and the joy comes in. And so that hit me like a ton of bricks because that's exactly what I was trying to do. I was trying to avoid just a full kind of surrender okay lord take my life i've been trying to live it the way i thought it was right it i'm not getting anywhere and uh, i really need your help and so when i made that decision and i fully let go that was when you know the doors really swung wide open and that mm -hmm. put me on the path to peace and ultimately led me to all the you know the good things that have happened since in my life particularly meeting my wife um, you know, blending our families, having our son, having this ministry, my my faith, uh, the way it's grown and how I've just grown in my relationship with our Lord, how I've been able to minister and help so many thousands of people um, mm -hmm. is because of that. Yeah. As you were talking about truth, so I'm going to go back to that. You mentioned, you know, if I'm listening and you keep saying truth, yeah. what came to my mind is what was the big truth? It sounds like it may have been that C.S. Lewis moment of surrender, right? That's exactly what it was. It was that moment of surrender. And I, I will never forget where I was when I had read this particular section of the book. And I, I teach this a lot. And I, I talk about, well, mere Christianity. But I, in many of my talks and workshops, I'll actually refer to the exact page in the chapter. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'll quote the exact page, but if I get it wrong, somewhere around 278 or something like that in mere Christianity. But um, that was that day. It was a Saturday in July, and I was home alone. Every other weekend, the girls went to their moms for the weekend, and I was by myself. And I 
it's a funny story. I found I found that book in a bookstore. I've never read any C.S. Lewis, but the title kind of piqued my interest, so I bought it. Promptly brought it home, put it on the bookshelf, forgot about it. Six months later, I actually moved with my girls, and I was home alone. And that it was it was bizarre. The Holy Spirit was calling me to find that book. Mm-hmm. And after about you know twenty three boxes later, because literally I just moved like the weekend before. I dug through and finally found that book. And I don't know why I was digging for it. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> it was the Holy Spirit just gave me this urgency. And I finally found it and I read it. And I read this one section. And it was like one of those things I like slammed the book shut. I'm like, I, you know, did I just read what I thought I read? And I put it down. And the next day it was haunting me. So I read it again. And it was like, oh my gosh, this is what I need to do. Mm-hmm. And so it was th- that that day. I made a decision that everything I was holding on to, particularly my, you know, opportunity to pursue dating relationships, things like that, that I was just, that was from, from, to me, I had suffered so much that I at least needed to have something that I could hold on to that was like for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but our Lord was saying, no, I want all of it. And, and that actually was the barrier of me holding on to all that was standing in the way of our Lord fully being able to work in my life. Yeah. And once I, fully let go of that then he could come flooding in and really use me yeah and really heal me fully right so yeah that surrender was i would say that's that's a major truth right of our faith yeah Yeah. let god be god and (laughs) quit trying to be god and control everything right exactly that's awesome yeah the piece that that hit me in your story is that that healing part right god wants to heal us and he knows how to heal us and the world will tell you oh this is what will heal you this is how you can be healed this is what you need this is what will make you happy this is what will fulfill you but god knows the desire of your heart and he's the one who as you said he had so much just in store for you waiting for you as soon as you surrendered and totally focused only on him and allowed him to heal you um so part of what you talked about that he offered you in addition to your your lovely wife monica was um this beautiful ministry and you like craig and john and i have a regular full-time job right but you also then god's put this in your heart to do this as ministry would you start to unpack because your ministry includes a number of things including workshops can you share with us some of the things that god has put on your heart to offer to other people sure kind of in the journey of it all it started out by i started a ministry at my parish for divorced catholics after i'd gone through this learning process of three or years or so and kind of figured out what the truth was of our faith and was living it fully mm-hmm. after I surrendered everything else, I really felt like I, I had something I needed to share and, and help <laughs> people. And so I went to my pastor and started a ministry there to help just really provide a community for divorced Catholics that could you know, other people have been through what they've been through that they could identify with and then just be able to teach them what I knew. Mm-hmm. So it started there and ultimately ended up in a book that I co-authored, Divorced Catholic, Now What? And that was kind of the cornerstone of, it kind of pulled everything together into one place and, and articulated it in a way that somebody could really take it and walk through it. Mm-hmm. And then from there came the Recovering from Divorce program, which was something that was basically a divorce ministry in a box. It's Mm -hmm. everything that if somebody in a parish wanted to facilitate a divorce support group, I could send them this Recovering from Divorce facilitator kit and had everything in there 
they could take it out and start using it and start ministering and helping people. Mm -hmm. So that really is one of the main things that I've done that we offer. There are other books that we've read. There's our website. There's our workshops. I think the main resource is divorcedcatholic.com. Divorcedcatholic.com. And so that has all of our resources. It has our books. It has our blog. It has our workshops. We do uh, online workshops. Uh, We have our program is now online. So if your parish doesn't offer the program, we offer it online. Okay. Um, So I think that is really the hub that has all of our resources available. And you said the uh, recovering after divorce, recovering from divorce, is a 13-week program? It's a 13-week program. It's a combination of videos, of sections out of the book. Okay. There's prayers written specifically for divorced Catholics. There's the daily inspirations that so many people have found helpful that we've woven into the program, some key inspirations. Welcome back into the family room. We are here today with Vince Freeze, and he's talking with us about a journey he's been on and that he found some light and hope during divorce. And now he has shared his experiences with a lot of other people who have dealt with divorce to help them have more abundant life and live in their faith more fully. So, Vince, we're so thankful for your heart and for your willingness to be so intimate with us. And oh, Thank you for inviting yeah, me here today. It's yeah. been a joy. And transparency is, is really helpful in this. Okay, talk about transparency. We always ask all of our guests, what would be one of your favorite family room memories? I do, and, and this is something that I remember when I was a kid, but uh, I also get to enjoy it and live it and experience it now so let me share it briefly with you so growing up uh in an italian household with my grandparents uh immigrating here from italy uh living in new york city in a small little apartment um we literally ate in their kitchen so they had a a tiny kitchen in a little apartment in new york city and uh there were i was five well four brothers and sisters plus me makes five and then i i had cousins had five other cousins so there were about 15 of us that crammed into this one little room uh, to eat our christmas eve meal which was a very special meal of uh, this red squid sauce that we only have once a year seven fishes well we don't do seven we do two this is one of the two and um but we had this picture where all of us kids, because we had the red tomato sauce and you get it on your good clothes. <laughs> so the the boys took off their shirts. All they had on, we had our T-shirts on. The girls took off their dresses. They had their slips on. And we have this picture of all of us gathered around this table together enjoying this meal. It's our favorite meal of the year. Aww. Well, fast forward now, 50 plus years and we enjoy that same meal every year at christmas eve Mm. and now um you know my kids uh all my my wife's kids my stepkids all of our kids and their significant others enjoy it just as now just as much as i did when i was a kid so i get to relive that memory every year but you don't go back to grandma's kitchen i wish i could (laughs) i wish i could but we recreate it because we all now there's probably 25 of us almost 30 of us that cram around this one table every year i'm serious very cool and this might be a family room first but if you have the recipe i'm sure 
folks would Oh, love. I have the recipe, but we don't share you know, it. Oh, okay. It's <laughs> one of those. It's one heirloom. of those. Absolutely. <laughs> I like it. The only way you can get the recipes, you have to marry part, blood in the family or marry into the family. <laughs> there you go. And I trust me, I have a lot of people ask for it, but. That's you know, great. That is awesome. Deserve. I don't think they're going to let us in no, the family. No, I'll invite you over. You can oh, have it. perfect. That'd be awesome. Yeah, <laughs> next Christmas Eve, I'm having red go. squid. Yeah. yeah. No, no, red I mean, it saves us the trouble for making it. That's awesome. No, that is awesome. I love those. Especially, yeah, especially Italian families, right? You always hear about the big family gatherings around yeah. meals and everything, yeah. and everything. it's awesome. Um, so let's 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 stay on the theme of family, if you don't mind, okay. because you know you just mentioned you're one of five. Right. You do have a, like I said, an identical, identical, identical twin brother. <laughs> um, where was he, or where was somebody else in your family when you were going through your divorce, and how did they help you? Yeah, so or my- didn't they help you? No, my twin brother was instrumental in helping me. He's obviously been in my life from the moment I was conceived. <laughs> yeah, and literally. we've always been very close. It's like having your best friend with you all the time. That's so awesome. it's a real blessing. And so when I hit this crisis, he was right there walking with me and guiding me and being that voice of truth, right? So, so many times when you're hurt, you come up with these ideas you think are great ideas. And he was that person I could bounce these ideas off of. And he would give me, you know, this unbiased truth and and set me straight more than once and so he walked with me through that and really uh involved me in his social life got me involved with really helpful positive catholic men that he was associated with and really brought me into that circle and that was really huge in helping me so he had his own faith was pretty grounded yes and then he helped found a group of men's gathering What's the importance of men? Sorry, Mari, I don't mean to exclude you no, in this conversation. No, I want, but I want men to gather in men, healthy ways. Men tend to be very isolating, yeah. especially during problems, or you get involved in things, frankly, you shouldn't. What's the importance of having solid men around you as a man? Well, I think it's that influence, right, that you that you desperately need, and you're going to be influenced Right, but having a, a man who will guide you and influence you in a positive way, in a healthy way, in a way that ultimately will lead you down a path of peace. Because look, there's lots of opportunities to get involved in lots of different things that don't lead you to peace and in the moment seem like they're a smart thing or an enjoyable thing, but yeah. ultimately aren't. So you need that that perspective of another man that can really truly guide you. Uh, a man that's got a good perspective, right? And that you can trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think that's the importance of having another man to walk with you. I think it's true of women too. Men are just not as naturally willing to reach out. That was very right? true, yeah. And mm-hmm. they tend to kind of go into their cave, so to speak. So having another man call you out of your cave, I think is critical. And that's what my brother did for me. Yeah. And call you into something good mm-hmm. and and into an environment, a group of other men that uh, can just help you heal. And in, in this particular group that my brother started did that. We We not only studied our faith, but we also just hung out as men. You know, we played cards. We watched sports together yeah you know there was two parts to that coin on the nights we got together the friday nights we got together and that were just so helpful and and really helped me to heal no that's awesome i love 
off air you had said you know your brother pretty much was like hey knucklehead stop it (laughs) one thing i do like about a a guy's association is especially if you can be real that somebody's not going to be kind of soft soap soft selling something they're just going to call you out and be like you know smack you on the back of the head and be like wake up man well yeah there's a better way men well everybody needs that but but men need that directness and to have another man yeah (laughs) and to have another man who you know you can trust yeah. direct with you is key yeah that's like building that foxhole right you hear about people come back from a, a war and it was the guys in the foxhole with me that were everything to me i survived yep. because of them so yep. i get it exactly well i think it's so helpful because as you said earlier this the world was telling you oh just go out and start dating again right, right. you're hurting you're lonely you're wondering what went wrong oh, let me just jump right back in start dating and try to f- make it right and that's not what God was calling you to do. And that's not always healthy. I know for women as well, you know, I think we can do the same thing. If I think about friends who've gone through divorce, having groups of women that they can go and be with. And I've got a women's group and we pray for each other and help talk to each other about, okay, what would God want you to do in this situation? Or, or what's God, you know, maybe saying into your life in this situation? And, and yes, and just, hey, let's go see a movie. Let's go do this or that. Just help people get through that. That lonely, if I could build on that, so in our Recovering for Divorce program, when we facilitate it in the parishes, we strongly advise that they they separate the groups, men and women. Mm-hmm. So when they when they walk through this 13-week program, the men do it together as a group, the women do it together as a That's group. Right. So there's none of those influences there, those t- temptations, if you will. And what has happened is because of that, these groups have grown very close. Well, we have some groups that went through the program 10 years ago that mm. are still meeting, groups of women that are still getting together to go out socially, go to mass together. You know, that's become a key part of their friend group now that they they really have built their a key part of their faith life around. That's so it's, it's really important to get that sense, that community, mm-hmm. right? Not only when you're healing, but to help encourage you all along the way. Yeah, so. yeah because yeah, we're, no, made awesome. community. we're made for community. We're made for connection, yeah, right? Yeah, definitely, absolutely. definitely. You know, so some of your resources, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the workshop, but I also know um, that when you were going through, you figured out, okay, there's some keys for when you're recovering from divorce. Can you share with us some of the keys that were critical ones that you, you like to share with us, others when they are recovering from divorce? Sure, I've got some practical ones, but I think one from a faith's perspective is really um, what I tell everybody is to get as much Jesus into your life as possible. Mm. I mean, that, and praise be to God, through our Catholic faith, we have such a direct route to Jesus through the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. So what, we, what I encourage people is really either receive the Eucharist every day if you can by going to Mass every day or just being present in our Lord. I mean, in the Gospels, everywhere you read, he went around healing people, mm-hmm. uh, either physically being present to them, touching them, and we have him available to us in the Eucharist. So the Eucharist is foundational to the healing process. So can I ask you a question on sure. that? Going back to the false narratives. Yeah. Um, I've often heard that once you're divorced, you can't go to communion. Yeah, that's not true. Unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation. And and I know of situations where people have gone 30 plus years without receiving the Eucharist because they were told just by going through a divorce, you're excommunicated, mm-hmm. which is not true. Going through a divorce does not 
prevent you from receiving the Eucharist. You may have to go to reconciliation if there's something you did to contribute to that. Great tools and resources to help share with others and to guide us in those moments when we find ourselves divorced, Catholic, and in recovery. You can find out more on The Family Room when you go to Podcast Central at EWTN.com for previous or future conversations. I'm Ace McCain. When Catholics Coast to Coast returns, we are going to take a deeper look into this weekend's Mass readings with Sunday Catholic Word, and that's coming up next on Catholics Coast to Coast. If it's central to the faith, you can find it on EWTN Podcast Central, featuring the best of EWTN radio, as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free. The destination for great Catholic audio programming is EWTN Podcast Central. It's like podcast heaven. Visit EWTN.com slash radio slash podcast today. This is the Sunday Catholic Word, a production of Catholic Answers, the only podcast to look at the Sunday Mass readings from an apologetics perspective. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sunday Catholic Word, a podcast where we reflect on the upcoming Sunday Mass readings and pick out those details that are relevant for explaining and defending our Catholic faith. I'm Carlo Broussard, staff apologist and speaker for Catholic Answers and the host for this podcast. And this episode, we're going to focus on three details that are relevant to apologetics. The first comes from the first reading, which is taken from Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 and verse 10. The related apologetical topic is God's immutability, the doctrine that God can't change. The other two details are in the gospel reading, which is taken from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. And the related apologetical topics there are Jesus' divinity and messiahship. Let's start with the detail from the first reading. After we're told that the people of Nineveh repented of their evil ways, we're told the following, quote, When God saw by their actions how they turned from their evil way, he repented of the evil that he had threatened to do to them. He didn't carry it out, close quote. Now, there are two questions that arise here. First, Is the Bible affirming that God directly causes evil? Because it says that he repented of the evil that he had threatened to do to them. And secondly, is the Bible affirming that God changes since it states that God repented of the evil? Now, concerning the question of whether the Bible is affirming that God directly causes evil, it depends on which kind of evil we're talking about. If the question pertains to moral evil or sin, well, then the answer is no. In no way can God cause moral evil. Otherwise, he'd fail to love himself, which is metaphysically impossible. For further details on this, you can check out my article at catholic.com, God Does Not Cause Us to Sin. Now, if the evil is natural evil or suffering, then I would argue that God can and does directly cause such evil. The key, however, for reconciling this with God's goodness is to see that such caused evil, natural evil in this case, takes on the form of punishment and thus is taken up into the order of of the good. Imposed suffering in and of itself is an evil. Like if we just think of suffering by itself, 
irrelevant of any circumstances. That's an evil. That's contrary to like the rest of the senses and the pleasure of the body and of our ex- physical existence, right? But when such suffering is imposed on account of a proportionate crime, well, then such suffering takes on the character of a good. Punishment is good because it rectifies that which is disordered. It puts things right by associating displeasure with bad behavior, which is the order that should have been present in the first place. Moreover, punishment manifests the truth of such an order. Now, in the case of the people of Nineveh, the Bible's revealing that their evil ways were meritorious of a proportionate imposed suffering or punishment. This being the case, such imposed suffering or evil caused by God wouldn't have been inconsistent with his goodness. So that's the kind of evil that the Bible is speaking of. But what about the question of whether this passage affirms that God changes? This is an important question because philosophy tells us that God can't change. Are we to believe that the God of the philosophers is incompatible with the God of the Bible? Well, the answer is no. And the key is that the author is employing anthropomorphic speech, which is speech that attributes to God human characteristics to help humans relate to God, but aren't meant to be taken literally. Aquinas addresses the same sort of question when he deals with an objection that arises from the language of God, repenting that he had made wicked men during the days of Noah, there in Genesis chapter 6, verse 7. Here is Aquinas' response, quote, These words of the Lord are to be understood metaphorically, that is to say with regard to God repenting, that's what he's talking about there, and according to the likeness of our nature. So, understood metaphorically and according to the likeness of our nature. For when we repent, we destroy what we have made, although we may even do so without change of will, as when a man wills to make a thing, at the same time intending to destroy it later. Therefore God is said to have repented, by way of comparison with our mode of being, uh, our mode of acting, insofar as by the deluge, God destroyed from the face of the earth man whom he had made. So for Aquinas, describing God as repenting is simply a way of describing God's actions according to our mode of acting. And of course, of being as well, because action follows being, which is an anthropomorphism. We're, we're ascribing God with human characteristics. The ascription, ascribing God with human characteristics, is justified because there is a similarity. The similarity, as Aquinas explains, is that what was made is destroyed. And so far as this is present in our mode of repenting and in God's providential plan, the Bible describes God as repenting. But due to the greater dissimilarity, the ascription is metaphorical. The difference is that when we repent, it involves a change of will, whereas for God, there's no change of will because the order of cause and effect is determined from all eternity in a single act of will. Now, Aquinas, in addressing God repenting in the case of destroying wicked men, in, uh, the, in the passage from Jonah, there's no destruction of anything. Rather, such a destruction is not brought about when, so it seems, God intended for it to be brought about. So it seems a bit more difficult to explain, because Aquinas' explanation of God repenting from destroying wicked men involves destruction, but in this passage from Jonah, there's no destruction, 
uh, destruction is not brought about because God, quote-unquote, repented. So it seems a little bit more difficult to explain it according to the way Aquinas deals with God repenting. Well, again, the description can be described as an anthropomorphism. The similarity would be that no destruction would result on account of the Ninevites' repentance. The dissimilarity, however, would be that our intention to destroy would change to an intention to not destroy. Whereas for God, no such change of intention is involved. God simply wills from all eternity that the Ninevites do not experience destruction on account of their repentance, and the biblical authors describe that reality according to our mode of changing intention. So there's some similarity, but there's a greater dissimilarity. And this is why we can rightfully ascribe to God with ascribe to God human characteristics, but know that it's being done so metaphorically. So there's no conflict between what we know about God's immutability by way of philosophy and the Bible's language of God repenting of destroying the Ninevites. Let's now turn to the gospel reading and the two details present there. Again, the gospel passage comes from Mark 1, 14-20. Here's what we read. I'll read it in its entirety. After John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As he passed by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting their nets into the sea. They were fishermen. Jesus said to them, Come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. Then they abandoned their nets and followed him. He walked along a little farther and saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They too were in a boat, mending their nets. Then he called them, so they left their father Zebedee in the boat, along with the hired men, and followed him. Now there are two details that I want to focus on here. The first is the content of Jesus' preaching, the kingdom of God, and the gospel. Both can only be appreciated against the backdrop of the Jewish prophetical tradition. So consider, for example, the gospel or Evangelion. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 9 through 11 states the following, quote, Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. The Greek there in the Greek version of the text is Evangelizomenos. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. The Lord God comes with might and his arm rules. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Jesus is proclaiming the fulfillment of this good tidings in our gospel passage for this upcoming Sunday Mass. God is in their midst. That's the fulfillment. God is coming with might and judgment on the enemies of God's people. That's the fulfillment. And God is gathering his sheep. That's what's being fulfilled. And Jesus is proclaiming it to be so. But more specifically, Jesus is proclaiming that he is God in their midst. He is bringing victory over the enemies of God's people, namely sin and death. And he is gathering his sheep. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verses 14 and 16? I am the good shepherd. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will heed my voice. So there shall be one flock, one shepherd. So Jesus, in proclaiming the good tidings, right, or the good news, or the gospel, he says, repent and believe in the gospel, Jesus is signaling the fulfillment of this Evangelion as foretold in Isaiah 40. Now, the kingdom of God, 
signifies the fulfillment of God's promise of his servant David to rule over the reunited Israel, the gathering in of the sheep. Ezekiel 37, 24 through 28 reads as follows, My servant David shall be king over them. They shall dwell in the land where your fathers dwelt that I gave to my servant Jacob. And David my servant shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. When my sanctuary is in the midst of them forevermore. So Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom in light of Ezekiel's prophecy here is a proclamation of his Messiahship. Jesus is proclaiming himself to be the Messiah, the servant of David, and being a prince forever, making a covenant of peace, the everlasting covenant with them, the sanctuary of God dwelling in their midst. Jesus is proclaiming the fulfillment of all of that insofar as he proclaims the kingdom. Now, the last detail that I want to focus on is James and John's immediate leaving of their father to follow Jesus. Recall from the gospel passage, Jesus called them, they left their father Zebedee in the boat along with the hired men and followed him. Scripture scholar Mary Healy, in her book, The Gospel of Mark, explains it like this. In response to Jesus' call, she writes, there is a complete abandonment of both occupation and father. To part so suddenly with their father would have been shocking in the social context of the day, where family obligations were paramount. And she cites Sirach, chapter 3, verse 16 there. She continues, it illustrates the absoluteness of Jesus' claim, taking precedence over even the closest human bonds. And then she cites Mark chapter 10, verse 29 through 30. So what we have here is an indication that Jesus sees himself to be divine. Jesus' call for them to leave their father and follow him hints that he understands himself to be divine. How could Jesus make such a claim unless he believed himself to be God? Like, in other words, the bottom line is, hey, you guys— Leave your father right now and follow me. I come before your father and your familial relationship. That's a bold claim. That smacks of divine wording, right? I mean, Jesus understands himself to be divine. So this first reading for this upcoming Sunday Mass and the Gospel for the third Sunday of Ordinary Time, your B, it doesn't disappoint when it comes to apologetical topics. We have opportunity to reflect on God's causality in relation to evil. That's an important topic to think about. God's immutability that he cannot change. Jesus' messiahship and being the servant of David and restoring and transferring the Davidic kingdom, which is his church. And of course, Jesus' divinity. Now, as always, I want to thank you, friends, for subscribing to the podcast. Uh, please be sure to tell your friends about it and invite them to, to subscribe as well at sundaycatholicword.com. You might also want to check out the other great podcasts in our Catholic Answers podcast network, Cy Kellett's Catholic Answers Focus, Trent Horn's The Council of Trent, Joe Heschmeyer's Shameless Popery, and Jimmy Aiken's A Daily Defense, all of which can be found at catholic.com. And one last thing, if you're interested in getting some cool mugs and stickers with my logo, Mr. Sunday Podcast, you can go to shop.catholic.com. Friends, I hope you have a blessed third Sunday of Ordinary Time of your B. 
Peace be with you. A better understanding on this third Sunday of Ordinary Time. Always great to check out Sunday Catholic Word. You can find out more when you visit our website. Go to EWTN.com slash radio. Click on Podcast Central, and it's easy to find, navigate, share with your friends, and on your social platforms. I'm Ace McKay. Always glad to be with you each and every weekend. Remember to let God define who you are, and we'll see you next time on Catholics Coast to Coast.